Take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. As we are slowly winding our way down in this great book of prophecy, the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it is the revelation or the unveiling of Jesus Christ in his power and great glory. So you know that the book of Revelation is really the fulfillment of everything that started back 6,000 years ago when Jesus Christ created everything out of nothing and the angel Lucifer rebelled and became the devil and God cast him out of heaven onto this planet and he entered the garden and he deceived Eve and he captured the heart and mind of Adam and Eve so that they might join his team in rebellion against his creator. But God made a promise to send a redeemer who would crush the devil's head and restore life back to this planet the way God intended. And sure enough, he came, Jesus Christ in the flesh. He died on the cross, rose from the dead. He is now conqueror over sin, death, and the devil. And we saw this morning and even last Sunday night that there's coming a day after the thousand-year kingdom reign of Christ on this earth. The whole earth will be regenerated like the Garden of Eden. And you and I will be living in the new city, Jerusalem. And we're going to wake up someday to the sound of battle cries at the end of a thousand years. And Satan will have come out of the bottomless pit. God will let him out for a short time. He will go and deceive the nations that are on the earth during the kingdom age. And he will gather an army like the multitude of the sand of the sea to one last time try to kill Jesus. Can you imagine the arrogance of Satan and the hardness of mankind because an army as many as the sand of the sea will go on his side one more time. But fire will come out of heaven and it will incinerate the army. And Jesus will take the devil and cast him into the lake of fire. And you and I will be on the walls of Jerusalem cheering, looking over going, there he goes, there he goes, he's in the lake of fire. That chapter is closed. Sin, no more. The presence of sin, not to be found. No broken relationships. No pain. No disease. No hospital visits. No visits to the funeral home. There's no more death. And for all eternity, we live together. And we work. We work for the Savior. And we rest and we recreate, and we fellowship, and we worship. Heaven is a glorious place. And like I said this morning, this earth, these palm branches, the trees, the grass, everything that this earth has to offer is a shadow. It is a shadow of the reality of heaven. It is like comparing a light bulb to the sun. You may look at the light bulb and say, wow, that's a fantastic light bulb. But when the sun comes out, you're not even thinking about the light bulb. The sun is way more glorious. I think heaven existed in that sense first. And everything on earth is simply a copy or a shadow of what is yet to come. It is that glorious. All right, so the trees on earth, they're beautiful. Not this time of year, but they're become, they become beautiful. When you get to heaven and you see the trees, they're going to look like the trees we have here. The ground will look like the ground we have here. The grass will look like the grass we have here. The water will look like the water we have here. When we get to heaven, you won't be shocked saying, wow, I had no idea this is what it's like. It is, it is a new heaven and a new earth that we live on. So it's going to be 
a spherical object that God is going to have us dwell on for all eternity. It's going to be phenomenal. And if we just had time to uncover many, many truths, we don't. We'll look specifically at chapter 21 and chapter 22. So tonight, I want to bring to your mind the conclusion of what began in the Garden of Eden when God put Adam and Eve in this beautiful paradise that we call the Garden of Eden. I have some comparisons here. Take a look at this. In the book of Genesis, that's the old paradise versus Revelation, the new paradise. In Genesis, we see an earthly paradise. In Revelation, it's a heavenly one. In Genesis, it came through the spoken word. Revelation, our new heaven, our new home, comes through the living word, Jesus Christ. In Genesis, they were planted in a garden. We get a city. In Genesis, it was a place for unfallen man. In Revelation, it is a place for the redeemed of all the ages. In Genesis, we see a marriage of Adam and Eve. In Revelation, we see a marriage, but between Christ and the church. Man fellowships with God in the cool of the day, but in Revelation, we fellowship with God continually. We are always in his presence. In the Old Testament, we we reflect God's image, but when we're translated in the resurrection, we are conformed into the image of Christ, according to Revelation or Romans 8. Satan is present in the old garden. Satan, absent forever in heaven. In Genesis, man is cursed, falling into sin. Revelation, no more curse. There's a physical light that God puts in the sky on day four. In Revelation, the lamb is its light forever. Remember in Genesis 2, it says in the Garden of Eden there were some metals. Remember the three metals that are listed? Gold, bdellium, and onyx. That came out of the ground in the Garden of Eden. Hey, in our heavenly city, the streets are made of pure gold. Incredible. What a contrast. Next. Day and night in Genesis, Revelation, no more night. Sea and land in Genesis, no more sea in Revelation. Worship's not even mentioned in those opening chapters, whereas in Revelation, worship is unceasing. In Genesis, we see two people walking with God. In Revelation, we have four living creatures, all of redeemed mankind. We have holy angels and all creation shouting praise and worship to God. And the Son of God is not mentioned in those opening chapters, but the Son of God is prominent and preeminent in our new paradise. So do you see how Revelation is really the conclusion of what began in the garden, and we messed up through sin? God is going to regain and bless beyond measure. So here is our new city, Jerusalem, coming out of heaven. Take your Bibles, Revelation 21. I'm going to give you some categories as we walk through your eternal home. Revelation 21. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the text of Scripture. We believe it is inspired. It is true. What we're about to read and study is going to happen for those who believe in Jesus. It is glorious. It is perfect. It is without sin. The holy city, New Jerusalem. And Father, we grieve over friends and family who have rejected Jesus Christ because we know from the Bible they will never experience this. They will never see or experience what we're about to study. Instead, they will be cast into a lake of fire and be tormented for all eternity. They will never get out. Not after a million years not after a billion years. 
they will be confined forever in a place of absolute torment. Father, if we could run right now and rescue everybody in this city of ours, we, we, we really think we ought to because the thought of one person going to hell is more than, I can, is more than we can handle. And, and you, have given every, you have given us everything to escape such punishment in Christ. We have Christ. We thank you so much for our risen Savior. We love, we worship him, and we long to see him face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. So you remember this morning in Revelation 21, in verse 3, five times, what does God talk about? He wants to dwell with you. He wants to live with you. He wants to be your God and you to be his people. Five times in one verse, I think that's God's most, most desiring thing for his, for his race. Now look at verse 9 with me. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me. So John has just experienced the end of the tribulation. He has watched the bowls of judgment come upon this earth. The heavens and the earth will pass away. But then he's given this vision of the new city, Jerusalem, again, coming down from heaven. And this angel talked with John, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. So the city of Jerusalem is a bride. It is the Lamb's wife. It is really it is our home. We're the bride. But we're so identified with the city that the city is called the bride. Much like, much like Babylon is Satan's city, and it's just, it is so tied to um, sin and the Antichrist. So Babylon, Antichrist, devil, New Jerusalem, the church, the bride, and Jesus. We're just intertwined. So we're going to get a vision of the exterior, and then we're going to move into the interior of our holy city. Verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having, so here's my first point. The origin of the city, verse 10, comes from God. God is the founder, the builder, and the maker of our holy city, Jerusalem. All right? So everybody understand. Nimrod started Babylon, and the devil controlled it. God creates Jerusalem and gives us a home there. So the origin is from none other than God himself, who is preparing a place for you to live. In verse 11, look at the appearance of the city. Point two, the appearance of the city. The city Jerusalem having the glory of God, literally the doxa, the doxa, the brightness, the light, the brilliance of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Maybe not the same kind of jasper that we have in, in our culture, but I think maybe jasper would be like a hard diamond, a beautiful diamond that when light hits it, radiates all the colors of the rainbow. So coming out of heaven is this city, a city called New Jerusalem. It is holy, and it has the brightness and the glory radiating of, it, of, the, of, of God himself. Now let's still look at the exterior of the city, verse 12. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Listen, those 12 tribes get their names, three on the south, three on the north, three on the east, three on the west. Now we know a lot about the sons. How good were they? Not very. The 12, tri the 12 tribes of Israel... The 12 men that led those tribes by their very names, for the most part, were deceitful and evil. But boy, God, in his grace, takes and transforms characters, doesn't he? 
He takes our sinful heart and disposition, and he radically changes us in the gospel. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we get the Holy Spirit, our desires begin to change, our behavior and our attitude begins to change. It's from the inside out. It's not behavior modification of do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. It's an inward heart change where the Holy Spirit begins to work. And next thing you know, my affections are more like Christ. I read the Bible and I understand this is how I need to think. This is how I need to live. This is how I speak. This is how I work. That's how it changes. But we have 12 tribes of Israel named on each of the gates. And what a, what a, what a place of God's grace. It's just so evident of God's grace. Verse 13, there's three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So now we have the New Testament apostles, meaning the home, New Jerusalem. It's home not only to the Old Testament saints, like the 12 tribes of Israel, but also all the New Testament saints. It's going to be the gathering of all the redeemed of all the ages. Next slide. Take a look. Here's one artist rendition. So here you have just a corner of the holy city, Jerusalem. You can see an angel at each gate. Above the gate, the name of the particular tribe. And underneath, you'll see foundations. And on the foundations underneath the gates, more names. Names of the 12 apostles. I don't know if that's what it looks like, but it gives you a good visual. They do. Well, we can't be all that accurate. No. Verse 15, now, and he who talked with me had a gold reed. A gold reed is a canon. It's a, it's a measuring stick. So he could give some measurements to the city to see how big of a city it is that we'll live in. He who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. So my next point, after looking at the exterior of the city, is the dimensions of the city. God is going to give us the size. Verse 16, the city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed. 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. So all three dimensions are 12,000 furlongs, which in our U.S. Um, system of measurement is about 1,380 miles. So the length of the city is 1,380 miles, that direction, that direction, and straight up. So I looked at the person who parachuted the greatest distance from the earth. Do you know how much it was? It was, I think, Felix Baumgartner or something. He just, um, no, it's somebody who just surpassed him. He jumped out of a little capsule that was taken up by a, by a, a weather balloon of some kind that actually went up close to 26 miles. So planes fly at about what height? Five miles. He was like 26 miles off the earth, and it took him four and a half minutes to get down to the bottom. And he broke the sound barrier as he went. So I saw a video of him jumping out. I mean, I'm on a ladder. I get a little shaky. He's 26 miles up, and he jumps out. And when you're 26 miles high above the earth, it is pretty breathtaking to see the globe. The top of our city is 1,380 miles high. Okay? So if you do the measurements, let's say there's 5 billion people that will live in the city. might be way more than that, but 5 billion people is a lot of people. Just on the main floor of the city, everybody gets two square miles all to themselves. That's 5 billion people. We haven't even begun to go up. We're just on the ground level. 
Can you imagine? Maybe Tom's home is going to be on the 1,379th mile. It'll be way <laughs> not a chance. All right. But do you realize the space just in the city? And we have gates that are open continually so we can go out, explore the universe, go out to the rest of the earth because this is just a city. Take a look at the next slide. Here is the base of the city if you put it on the United States of America. That is our holy city, the size of it. It runs all the way from Montana down to Miami. And you can see all the way up there in the upper um, right, all the way down into Mexico. That is just the ground floor. And then you picture 1,380 miles in height. Why would we live in a cube? Doesn't it sound strange to live in a cube? Here's why I think it is. In the Old Testament, God said, I'm going to dwell in a tabernacle. Make the tabernacle rectangular. And uh, inside the tabernacle, God said, I want you to make a cube. has to have the same length, width, and height. And in that cube, God said, I will dwell in Shekinah glory. I will dwell in light. And so for the Old Testament, he dwelt in a cube. He dwelt in a same length, width, and height over the Ark of the Covenant. And I think what he's saying is where, where he lives, we're going to live with him. We're going to live in the Holy of Holies for all eternity in his very presence. Well, he goes on, verse 17 of Revelation 21, then he measured his wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. The height of the wall, 216 feet. That's nothing compared to 1,380 miles. It's not a wall for protection because there's no enemy, but it's going to define the borders of the city as we enter and, and as we exit. So the gate is 216 feet high, and uh, that is according to the measure of a man. That is the same or legitimate earthly measurements like we're thinking. Verse 18, look at the materials of the city. The, constru- the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. So that the, you can look at that previous slide, and you'll see the foundation stones, all manner of stones underneath the wall. Here are the colors. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire. So we've got a, a dark green, sapphire is sky blue. The third is chalcedony, which is like a green copper silicate. The fourth, emerald, a beautiful green. The fifth, sardonyx, which is white. The sixth, sardius, blood red. Then you have the seventh is crystallite. This is like a, a gold color. The eighth is beryl, which is sea green. The ninth, topaz, which is a transparent green gold. The tenth is cryophase, which is yellow green. The eleventh is uh, jathans, which is violet. And the twelfth, amethyst which is like a blue or a purple. So you're just talking a beautiful range of colors as the glory of God radiates out of the city that we live in. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. Why a pearl? Well, all the other gems that we just spoke of, they come out of the earth that God created. The pearl doesn't. The pearl comes out of flesh, living flesh, an irritation gets inside of an oyster, and uh, the oyster, because it's being irritated and injured, it coats that little, irri- that little uh, injury, whatever pebble or whatever it is, coats it and coats it and coats it and coats it, and that's what develops the pearl. I think God is telling us something really clear here. 
Our sin has injured our Savior. And he took our sin, paid for it, and then gave us new life. So every time we walk in and out of one of those gates, we're going to be reminded our sin injured our Savior, but he turned it into grace. He turned it into mercy and love. And so don't ever forget that your sin has been paid for by a substitute. You owe everything. Your life, you, you owe everything to our Savior. Verse 21 at the end, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So we have streets, there's buildings. This is a, a regular city, like we would understand a city to be as we walk into one even here on this earth. Now let's move on to verse 22. And I want you to see the interior of the city as we go in. But, John said in verse 22, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So you go in and you would expect to see a religious structure or, or a temple like you saw on earth, whether it was in the days of Moses or in the days of Solomon, or even the new city Jerusalem that we go to. But no, there's no temple because now in our very presence is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the person that we're dwelling with. And so we will forever be with the Savior. Verse 23, look at the brilliance of the city. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. No, it doesn't say there's no sun or moon. It's just that there's no need of the sun or moon because the glory of God is going to illuminate it. Remember on day one of Genesis, when God cre- the first thing God created was light. He said, let there be light. There was light. What day did he create the sun? Day four. So there was light shining on this planet with no need of the sun or moon. And then God gave us the sun and the moon on the fourth day. So I think that there'll be seasons and time being passed. I'll show you that in a minute. I think there'll be months that click off like the calendar, but God's glory and God's light is going to be the pervasive aspect of that, of that heavenly city. So it says, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it, the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. Which tells me there's people from every tribe and every tongue that will be in our city. People of every nationality, skin color, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we get along and we live forever for all eternity. It says the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Whatever, wherever they live, maybe outside of the city on the, earth, on the new earth, they're, they're bringing their wealth and their glory. All of the things that matter, they're bringing in and giving to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But, listen to this, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, no sin. We have no ability to sin. We won't be around the presence of sin. And sin cannot even enter heaven. It's going to be a glorious place. Moving on to chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God, end of the lamb. So the pure river of, of life, this water of life, we don't know, I mean, all we know is what it says here. You drink it, you have eternal life, and we'll be able to drink from its source continually. During the millennial kingdom, 
there's going to be another temple on earth, all right, that Jesus will build. According to the book of Zechariah, Jesus will build the millennial temple, and underneath the millennial temple will, will flow a river of life. The Bible says wherever this river of life flows, it will bring healing to the land and blessing to the land. And wherever it avoids will stay marshy and swampy. So this water has healing, life-giving properties. And if it hits the Dead Sea, it will be full of life, all sorts of aquatic life. But if it misses a little swampy or marshy area, that place will stay dead and, and sour. All right? So this water flows underneath from underneath the throne and ezekiel when he when he's in the water the water's up to his ankles then he goes a little farther and then it's up to his knees then he's up to his waist and then pretty soon it's too much for him so it's going to be a flowing river that'll be going right down the middle of our city that'll have life-giving properties and i think we can drink of it all that we want he goes on in verse two in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So there's nourishment. There's these trees of life that have fruit bearing all along the river. And every month, you get a different flavor. Every month, a different type of fruit being born. I can't even visualize that. But it's going to be wonderful to drink from the water of life and eat from the tree of life, and live forever. But here, look at the, these last verses. Verse 3, And there shall be no more curse. The sin curse that has been part of our families and part of this world for 6,000 years will be completely removed and gone forever. He says, But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So we'll have responsibility and work for all eternity. I don't know, creative work of all kinds. People writing poetry, writing books, writing music, baking. There'll be people taking care of animals, people taking care of the, um, the lawn, people taking care of the gardens, um, people teaching others. I mean, there's just as many tasks as there are on earth right now, there's going to be tasks like that for us up in heaven. And we'll be serving the Lord and serving one another in all of these different areas. So our eternity is not boring, and it's not just a time of laziness. It's a time of productivity and progress and learning. It's a time of great joy and spiritual worship. Everything we do will, will be a blessing. No toil, no tears, no sweat of the brow. It'll simply be every day you jump up and say, I'm glad I get to go to work today. I can't wait. And when you go home, you're just refreshed and ready to continue on worshiping, recreating, resting, everything. It's just going to be a complete joy. He goes on in verse 4. They shall, and here's my favorite part, they shall see his face. Greatest joy for me in heaven will be to look upon the face of Jesus. The same one who died on the cross we will see his face. We will look into his eyes. We will see the smile of his face, and we will hear the depth of his voice as he speaks to us. And his name shall be on their foreheads. Just a mark of intimacy that we are forever, forever his children. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever 
and ever. So part of our responsibility is to rule and to reign over all the angels, and who knows what else God is going to have us do in that definition. Then the angel said, these things are faithful and true, which means, how accurate are they? 100% accurate, and how guaranteed are they? 100% guaranteed. This is going to happen. This is your future life as a believer. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. The Lord says in verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Do you realize how close we are to the end? The rapture could take place at any time. Then it's a matter of seven years. Then 1,000 years, and we're on this page. So we're talking in a short time, this life could be over, this planet would be burned up, and we would be into these pages of of life. It is going to happen. Listen, I'm turning 50, and I was just talking to somebody this morning. I feel like I blink and I was in high school. I I think high school was like yesterday. It has gone that fast. Do you know how fast the rest of this life's gonna go? The rapture, the seven years, the thousand years, and back to these pages, it, it is going to be so fast, I think. It's going to, be, it's going to come quickly. What, what's our responsibility? What's our manner of life supposed to be if, this, if these things are true? We're living for these things and not these things down here on earth, right? We're living for the future days as we're being trained for godliness. We're not living for what the world has to offer because everything the world offers is passing pleasure. It doesn't last, and it doesn't satisfy. Everything that matters and satisfies is going to be found in the holy city, Jerusalem. So, verse 8. I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he, the angel, said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. We don't worship angels, we don't worship Mary, we don't worship people, we worship God and God alone. So John is corrected there. And then the angel said, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand, meaning this is to unveil Jesus. It is to reveal Jesus, not to hide. So the book is not sealed. It is open for us to read and understand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, Let him be holy still. Whatever decision you make about Christ, that's where you're going to spend all eternity. You reject him, you will spend all eternity in a lake of fire, and you will be filthy all eternity. You trust him, you are holy for all eternity. Jesus says this in verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, twice he said it now, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus was there at creation. He's going to be there at the consummation and the conclusion of everything. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. That is all the unsaved people. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. And the spirit and the bride, the church, here's what we say, come. 
That is a personal invitation. Listen, everybody, just for the last few minutes, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and the church, we are the bride, we need to go to this world and say, come, come to Christ, trust him, believe in him. How are they ever going to believe in him unless they hear it from us? If we don't tell the people at school or at work about Jesus, where will they get it? They're not going to get it from good housekeeping. They'll get some good tips about keeping an uncluttered house and making a dinner, but, but they're not going to get the liber, liberating news of Jesus Christ. They aren't going to get it until we say to them, come. And they may say, come where? We'll show you. Let me show you in the Bible. This is what happens to those who reject Christ. This is what happens to those who know him, who trust him. Here's what Jesus has done for you. That's our responsibility. So verse 17 to me is the critical verse at the end. The spirit and the bride, we say, come. And let him who hears say, come. So you right now who are hearing this, you invite people with a personal invitation and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life, of life freely. Listen, you remember, in, okay, do you remember in the book of Acts? Paul was in Athens, up on Mars Hill. He didn't have a lot of success. Prior to that, he was in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and he didn't have super success because he only lasted a few weeks and got kicked out. He started a riot every place he went. He's down in Athens at Mars Hill, and he is having a tough time. People do not believe in the resurrection, so he leaves kind of dejected. He goes from Athens over to Corinth, and, and he's all by himself. He doesn't know anybody in the city. He's all by himself, and he is uh, probably crying himself to sleep. I bet he's like, Lord, why would you have me go to Corinth? I haven't had much success in the whole second journey. Little churches started, but I don't know if they're going to last. And Athens was the toughest spot. Nobody liked me there. And now here I am in Corinth, one of the most wicked cities in all the region. I can't do it. There's no way I'm going to reach anybody in this area. Do you know what happened? Three things happened. The first thing is he met Priscilla and Aquila. All right? God said, don't worry, Paul. I'm going to give you some new friends. You know what? In our church, we've got some new friends. God has brought new people into our church. Then uh, Timothy and Silas come back. Second thing God does, gives them his old friends back. His old friends came back to refresh him and report. New friends, Priscilla and Aquila. But you know, the, the, the third thing is best. Do you know the third thing? Jesus shows up to him personally. Jesus shows up in a dream and says, Paul, do not be afraid. Here's what he said. Listen, everybody. For I have many in this city. You be faithful to preach, and I'll take care of everything else. I have many here. You preach, I'll take care of the rest. You think that's a little encouraging for Paul? Next day we, when he woke up, I bet he thought, I'm just going to go and preach. And God's going to do his work. And do you know what? A church in Corinth was started. I think there are people in this community that God says, get out their church, get out their faith Baptist, and invite them to the, with the gospel. I've already, they're already ready. They're already ripe. You just need to go and deliver the news. We go and say, come, and they respond to the gospel. That's God's part. Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that there are people that are lost in this community that God has ready for salvation? Yes, I absolutely agree. Do you all agree? I see only a few people nodding. Okay, I really believe that in a community of what is Duluth, 80,000 
plus then the surrounding area, there has to be more than a handful that are ready for the gospel, like I was 20 years ago. Wouldn't it be great if we were obedient to invite them to come to Christ, and then God does his part of saving them? Wouldn't it be great that just a handful, that we could then disciple and train in the ways of Christ? I think it's pretty awesome. I think that invitation, that speaks to us right there. And I'll tell you what, I think there's already hungry people out there. They're thirsty for good news of of the gospel, and we just have to be there to bring that cup to them and say, we know where the water is. Come and get it. I'm going to ask you, would you be faithful to do that this week, next week, whoever God puts in front of your path? I don't think it's an accident. I know it's not. God works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. Last verses. Listen to this. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. I think it's not only Revelation, but I think it's the entire Bible. Because Revelation has so much Old Testament, and it's the conclusion of the book of Genesis, that if you add to anything in the Bible, God is going to add to you the plagues of the Bible. You distort Scripture, you add to it, you change it, you mess with it, God is going to mess with you. And the plagues of this Bible will come upon you. That is how seriously God takes his word. We cannot stray from the word. We cannot misrepresent the word. We cannot misspeak the word. It is truth. We can't change it. You change it, and by the way, there was a Baptist pastor. There was a Baptist pastor who said, I don't like the idea of hell. I think he was Baptist. I better. But he said, I don't like the idea of hell. So I just think that heaven's going to be on earth and everybody's going to be able to go and 144,000 will start. Do you know what it, who it was? The founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses. He at one time was in a Bible-believing church like this and he said, well, I don't like the idea of hell. He just took away from the word of God and now that's a cult of, of many, many millions of followers going to hell because they do not believe Jesus is the son of God. Okay, so there's a great warning for us with the word of God. Verse 19, and if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, like this man, hell, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He takes his word seriously. This is divine truth. We can't change it. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. How many times did Jesus say he's coming quickly? Three in this chapter, I think is pretty important. He could be here at any moment. Be ready. Be prepared. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, John says. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Great, isn't it? So the big thing about the end I want you to get, we need to give the personal invitation to come to Christ. So as we do that, God will save. We don't tamper with the word. We give the truth as it is. And God does all the rest. Isn't that exciting? Well, so that's the holy city. I don't know. That's what we'll live live in, but we'll see how right we are when we get up there, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your mercy, and for our eternal home. We know that quite a few things have to take place before we reside in this final eternal state, but we're excited. Someday, we as a church will sing together together, We're going to walk through those gates of pearls and we will enter in and we will see the Lord Jesus face to face. It is going to be stunning and we are going to celebrate and the celebration will last for all eternity. 
And although we can't fathom life without ends, we know that it is going to be fruitful, it'll be educational, it will be worshipful, and it will be perfect without sin. Thank you, Father, for saving us our soul and for having a place for us to live with you forever on this new heaven and new earth where righteousness will dwell permanently. Help us, Father, to invite the lost. People in our community need to hear the news. Help us to give that personal invitation of come, come to Christ. And we trust you, Father, to save them. We know that you have some people in this area already ready for salvation. We just have to be there to deliver the news. Give us courage and give us the love and patience to do that. Again, we trust you to do your work in building up your church. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus who is coming quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.